on Texas football Longhorn live stream on Friday afternoon. Uh, welcome in. We've got Jerry Hamilton here with me, along with Ian Boyd of InsideTexas.com. Uh, you guys uh, ready to talk a little football and uh, sports and whatnot? We got a special guest coming up today, Brett Wilkinson. He is the guy that handles the Directors Cup rankings, the Learfield's Directors Cup for all Cup rankings for all athletics uh, across the country. Uh, he actually has uh, predicted. Uh, successfully last year that the Longhorns were going to win. Uh, this year, we've got his numbers and stats. We're going to go over that with you guys a little bit. Uh, but first, right out of the gate, let's talk uh, Texas football and injuries. I wrote an article today on Inside Texas that got some people stirred up. Uh, on Tuesday, there were some injuries at practice, but they proved not to be fatal or at least not to be long-lasting or, or overly concerning. Uh, Cedric Baxter uh, has an issue with his quad. Gavin Holmes uh, had a, a groin strain. Uh, and then uh, also uh, you had, uh, uh, I mentioned Baxter Holmes. DeAndre, DeAndre Moore. Moore. I think think may have been a, a rib issue yeah. uh, with him as well. So, uh, guys, what were y'all's first thoughts when y'all saw that or heard about that? Jerry, you and I were talking about it because I was trying to find out. I had heard about it. Me and you had heard about it, but we were trying to figure out exactly what went on. But it, it sounds like they were back at practice Thursday. Well, initially heard that the severity was going to be bad on a couple of those, but uh, luckily that didn't end up uh, the case. Um, you know, it's it's just like it, it's right now you're, what, a week away, essentially, from the spring game. So they're almost to this finish line. Um, and so it's, you know, knock on wood, no major injuries yet. yet guys are going to get nicked up. You're going to scrimmage. You're going to hit each other. You're going to fall in the knees and uh, uh, you're going to plant and cut and it's going to happen. Uh, there's there's Jake Faust saying, you, <laughs> um, but yeah, so no majors uh, this spring so far. And, and the reality is more players have come back from injury that have gotten injured this spring. I mean, Malik Murphy's back on the practice field. Isaiah Naor's running routes on air. Uh, Jalen Gilbo's on his way back. You know, he's he's limited. So uh, we're, there's been more good news than bad with a week to go. Yeah, I, I think it's been one of those things where we're all looking for that next piece and and. The, we're all crossing our fingers. You're right. It's it's one week away from having a, a successful spring without the major injury bug. And I, I say it every time, knock on wood. People are probably mad. I even mentioned it um, this morning in some ways uh, who are superstitious. And, and what's hilarious is that I'm actually superstitious myself. Ian, what do you think about this kind of stuff? Well, you know, I hadn't heard anything coming in before clicking on your article. So usually I would have heard if something really bad it happened since I hadn't heard anything. I was like, Oh, like Bobby's talking about depth or something. So I only had about two seconds of, Oh, wait, what? Before I got to the next paragraph, and I, you know, whatever. Um, I did, I will say though, Holmes had the, uh, the groin, right. That is a little bit concerning to me. That sounds like something that could get worse or could linger. Uh, you well, know, it has with Keelan Robinson. It yeah. has with Keelan Robinson right now. You don't want that guy. You want that guy at full strength in the fall. And that's tough because, you know, he's competing for a starting job. He's trying to put together a, a season for the NFL. So he's going to push it, which is risky because that's what college athletes do because they have such a limited window. And uh, I, so that, that, that does make me a little bit nervous. And I, honestly, the Baxter thing, what was the nature of it? Because you don't want to do the quad, Bruce quad. Just like taking a helmet or something? Sounds That's, like it. I, I don't know the exact nature of it. I just know the result. Um, uh, but uh, it, 
sounds like he was back at practice on Thursday. So even if he's tender, it's not, it's not structural is the issue, right? Yeah. That is the kind of guy that because he's six, two or whatever, like there's a reason that a lot of running backs aren't that tall because you get more surface area to, uh, to find things to hit if you're a defender, you know? Um, so a, a reason that a lot of tight ends get beat up too, it's why Jalen Hurd, if y'all remember him, a 6'5 guy at Tennessee, was like, I'm done with this running back life. Yeah. So I do wonder, I, I do worry a little bit long-term with Baxter if he's going to run low enough to stay healthy. Well, I mean, that, that's that's one of those where you just got to, you hope it you hope it works out. You know what I mean? Because ultimately that's going to be his long-term position, you know? Yeah. He's so, not really I mean, we're, we're going that way. All right. I want to say uh, I've got a, a really good trivia question for you guys. I think it's going to stump some people. Um, <laughs> this is good. Joel McWaters. Here's some news. You're all going to die. Good news. It's not today. Knock on wood. Sorry. Hey, that's good news. I'm on a plane in a couple hours. Thank you. <laughs> Jerry's going to take off about five, 10 minutes early here from us uh, this afternoon. So we can get down. Uh, to uh, Jupiter, Florida for uh, uh, some days off and also go see some guys, I think, over at IMG Academy uh, as well this this coming week. Um, I, I want to say this. Uh, the trivia question today I think is pretty good. Uh, I stumped Jerry and Ian with it already. Uh, so I hope that's good for you. I, I want to say thank you now to our sponsor, Andy Ludicky of MyPerfectFranchise.net. Uh, if you're looking to do something def- different uh, in uh, 2023, try Andy Ludicky and his uh, company, MyPerfectFranchise.net. Uh, Andy's a consultant. What he does, he takes these through a process and a list of questions that identifies your strengths and weaknesses and your capacity and ability and skill set to run a, a business on your own. If you're looking to leave the corporate rat race, give Andy a shout uh, at Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net. That's Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net. He's helped several Longhorns get going in their own businesses, somebody that you guys uh, can uh, rely on. He's also a former Longhorn uh, himself. Uh, All right. Now I want to bring in somebody new that no one has met before. And his name is Brett Wilkinson. Uh, Brett is uh, the guru of the Learfield Cup. I don't know how many people know this, but Texas has had the best uh, all-around sports programs in college sports the last two years. Uh, Brett is one of the guys that has been tracking that uh, for folks. He's a Longhorn. He's now a doctor by trade, but he does this for fun uh, and and uh, gets stuff done uh, outside of his regular office hours. And he does a great job of not only uh, showing where everybody is at in the current Learfield Cup race, but also does a good job of predicting where they will end up. Welcome in, Brett Wilkinson. How you doing, Brett? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Bobby. Yeah, I, we just want to call you doctor. Um, let's uh, let's let's get this. I want to ask you, how did you first get into this uh, this situation where you started uh, tracking the Learfield Cup standings? Yeah, and I'm probably like a lot of Texas fans or maybe other sports fans of other school probably had not paid too much attention to this as, you know, Stanford literally won this thing for an entire quarter of a century in a row. I'm sure the Stanford fans probably started zoning it out because – it just wasn't hasn't been much of a contest, um, and, and we can talk about this more if we want. But there were some scoring changes made in 2018 to try to make it a little bit more competitive. Um, they have worked to a degree, and they have worked um, enough that Texas, as you said, won the last two Directors Cups. So you know, I saw the first year Texas won this. Well, that 
piqued my interest. I started looking into it and I'm somewhat of an analytical person by nature. So the following year, I said, well, let me pay attention to how Texas is doing this year. Maybe they could do it again. So I started tracking their scores and comparing it to their old scores. Well, that starts steamrolling. Then I start tracking Stanford's scores, being they're going to be the main competition. Well, then I'm like, well, you know, what about Ohio State, Michigan, these other schools that might be competitive? So by the end of last year, I was tracking about 10 or 12 schools that I thought had a chance to win. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And with the data that I had, with the rankings that, that are out there, I was able to start piecing together some predictions and really convinced myself that Texas was probably going to repeat. And then since I had all the data, as soon as the track and field championships wrapped up, I knew Texas had it in the bag. So I was able to announce that, you know, before anybody else put it out there, you know, I, I direct messaged uh, Del Conte, let him know that he was going to win it again. And I really think I was probably the first person to know the outcome. So I've doubled down. I have 250 plus spreadsheets going this year, tracking all the schools. Um, so it's definitely a labor of love, but um, it, it's fun and interesting being probably one of the only people, maybe other than the director's cup themselves, who has this information at hand. So Brett, uh, you uh, were from, you went to Beaumont Westbrook, made your way That's to right. Texas as an undergrad. And now you're doing this on the side while you're a, a doctor at the VA, VA hospital in New Orleans. Uh, that's uh, a fun thing for everybody. Let's take a look now, Matt, our, our uh, producer. Will you put up the uh, di current Director's Cup top 10? Uh, Britt, take us through this since uh, Texas and uh, the basketball tournament just finished and what happened there. Yeah, so, um, you know, Texas has had a strong start to the season. We see them there in second place, which you know, that might give you some angst. Are they falling behind? Well, no, Texas is always behind. Um, and, and this year they've actually done really well in the rankings compared to previous years. Um, they don't have a ton of sports in the fall, but they did quite well in the fall um, with football scoring some points this year. You don't get points for going five and seven. Um, and, and just a small detail on that. I was really watching closely as the coaches poll came out. If you're ranked 25th, you get 49 points. If you make a bowl game and you lose it, you get 25. So the fact that Texas hung on to that 25th um, place ranking um, got them 24 additional points. Uh, but they did well, of course, in, um, in football. Volleyball team won the championship after a little bit of a disappointing season last year. Um, cross country's been doing better and better year over year. Women's soccer won a playoff game for the first time um, in quite a while. So a strong fall. They've come in, again, had a strong um, spring – or, um, excuse me, winter. Swimming, of course, did well, as expected. And then the basketball teams, it ended up being a bit of a wash. Um, the men's team making it to the Elite Eight, which is what the women's team did last year. And then the women's team, um, you know, winning one game this year, which is what the men's did last year. So – they're in a really strong spot right now. 
the way that I put this into context year after year is, well, how did they do compared to themselves last season? That gives me some context. Texas obviously did great last year, one of the best scores under the new scoring system. So if they're tracking along with that, we're doing better than that. That gives you a sense that they're, they're in a strong position. So compared to this time last year, Texas is about 80 points ahead of where they were last year. Now, Ohio State is also a little bit ahead of where they were last year. Stanford is also ahead of where they were last year by about 65 points. So so the other teams are also outpacing themselves, so it's going to be competitive. But Texas is doing what they need to do to have a shot. All right, let's turn the page. Now you, you, do, you do a little bit more than just uh, tabulate existing scores. You actually look at the current rankings of the other teams that are outstanding and a lot points based on that. So yep. let's show Matt, uh, our uh, producer, let's show him now your predicted finish for this year. And it shows the Longhorns with potentially, uh, at least as of right now, their st- third straight uh, Directors Cup championship. Yeah, so so this is kind of proof of concept. It's definitely possible. And of course, I'm basing this off of current rankings. We all know in sports, we just got through March Madness. Rankings do not always um, hold themselves up. You know, Virginia would probably be a little bit higher if their basketball team didn't bow out in round one. So upsets happen. These scores are going to change. Um, I know that. Um, and so this is just to give an idea, proof of concept. It's definitely possible with the way the rankings are right now. If I assume that's how exactly how it's going to finish, this is what the scores would look like. Got it. And having a 100-point edge, I mean, that's pretty substantial. So we can start having a little bit of confidence. But if two, three, four sports, you know, go bad for us and go good for Stanford, well, that 100 points can be made up pretty quickly. Got it. Stanford used to, uh, one of the people here is asking, how did the scoring system change that allowed other teams to actually compete with Stanford? My understanding, it w- it had to do with mi- uh, minimizing the number of sports allowed. Uh, so Stanford at one point had like 37 or 38 uh, Division One sports, including yep. sailing, for example. Yeah, yeah. So here's how the, the initial scoring system in 1993, you basically took your 10 best men's sports and your 10, 10 best women's sports. Right now, I know Stanford has 31 NCAA competing sports. Ohio State actually has 32. So they have a ton of sports. And, and I assume this was similar back in the 90s as well. Texas, on the other hand, at, at ni- in 93, Texas had nine men's sports, which we still have today. And they had eight women's sports. So you can see if you're trying to get to 20 and you only have 17 sports to begin with, your score sheet has three empty spots on it. That's a huge disadvantage. Over time, Texas has added three women's sports, softball, rowing, and um, oh, what's the other one? And soccer have been added. So now we have 11 women's sports, still have the nine men's sports. And then, of course, we have beach volleyball that's going to be competing officially next year. Um, so we've, we've built up the program a little bit. That helps. The rule changes in 2018. So instead of 20 sports, it went down to 19. So a, a small change. It no longer mattered men's versus women's sports. Gender didn't matter. Um, and they added four required sports. That's both basketball teams. That's baseball and volleyball. So 
all of that leveled the playing field a little bit. Now that said, Stanford, even under the new rules, has been second place. You know, it's not like it, it dropped them back down to earth. And the only school that's really been competitive, even under the new scoring, has been Texas. And that's because Texas is just insane top to bottom. 18 to 20 sports on Texas campus are just doing a fantastic job. So uh, the scoring helped a little bit, but not drastic. I, I got a great question here, and then we're going to let you go. Okay. <laughs> no. does, meat did, does meat judging from A&M really count? Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. So, so these are NCAA championships only. There are 37 of these. Um, meat judging is not in the mix. <laughs> Dr. Brett Wilkinson. Brett, thank you so much, bud. Uh, hopefully the Longhorns follow through with a good spring sports. Uh, the tennis team, I think male tennis team is number one. Golf's still on both sides to go. Uh, a couple things like that. All right. Yeah, uh, we appreciate you, buddy. Have a good one. Home. Uh, follow it. Follow it. Follow along at director underscore direct. What is your? Uh, yeah, your it's it's uh, at direct underscore cup dates. Okay, perfect. At direct underscore cup dates. All right, thanks, Brett. Thanks for having. All right, uh, Brett Wilkinson, uh, good guy, uh, knows all the stuff out there. Uh, we're gonna get going back and talk a little football uh, as well as uh, some basketball. Jerry's got some news. Uh, in basketball recruiting. First, I want to get to our uh, our uh, trivia question for the day, uh, and that is this. Here we go. Who or what is the la who is the last Texas player to play both football and basketball for the Longhorns in a game? Play both sports. That's important that, that you added it, in the name. Yeah, and uh, this is brought to you by Last Stand Hats. Use promo code Bobby10 for 10 point 10% off. Um, and uh, we'll get it going from there. All right, let's see. Let's see if anybody even is answering this. Nobody is even trying right now. That's a tough question, Bobby. Uh, it's, I'm I mean, I'm I know Syracuse my days. And, and I'm gonna say this. Here's the here's the crazy thing. He was a three-sport guy at Texas. Ah. Wave Denfield. Who? <laughs> Dave Winfield backwards, waved infield. <laughs> no, I, I love this. Nobody is getting this. I know Syracuse, Donovan McNabb. There. Okay. I anything for that. Look at a Syracuse hat, a Jim Beheim autograph hat. How about Julius Peppers? There you go, North Carolina. Mac yeah. Brown recruit, by the way. Guy. This guy was not as good a basketball player. And Ronald Curry at North Carolina. Yeah. I know there was a guy, I think, in the Rick Barnes era that was on the football team. You just you just winced. <laughs> so maybe no, it's this is this one actually played in games. I don't know that. for both teams. I'm too young. All right, you one of the Cash Brothers. Nope, Cash Brothers did not play basketball in Texas. No, they did not. Could have. Mm -hmm. They were tre tremendous in the state championship game uh, in high school. All right. Football and basketball. I'm, I'm getting nothing here. All right, I'm going to give it to you. He was five foot seven on a good day. His name was Tony Jones. Oh, wow. Grapeland, Texas. Yeah, I didn't even know he played basketball. No, no winner of the uh, last 10 hats trivia question. He was uh, played 
point guard in basketball, played, I think, in 14 games for the Longhorns in the 88-89 season. Um, also was an all-Southwest Conference performer in track. Yeah. Caught the winning – he's most famous uh, by Texas fans for catching a, the winning touchdown on the last second play against Arkansas in Fayetteville. I think that was in 88 or 89. And then he gave up uh, basketball because he actually ended up playing pro football yeah. at all of five foot seven. Uh, but one of the fastest guys out there. The one thing we can take from that is we don't have anybody from Grapeland on the uh, uh, on the Longhorn live stream. That's for sure. <laughs> no, nobody's nobody's mentioning anything. All right, uh, we'll get going. We're going to take you guys questions uh, here the rest of the way, uh, and uh, so please get them in here. I've got already some lined up for both Jerry and Ian uh, at this point. Let's go, Ian. I'm going to start with you, bud. Okay. Yep. Here we go from Jake Faust. Ian, at some point in this live stream, can you expand on your article discussing depth at defensive back leading to possible dime package looks for Texas this year and what that might look like? Well, what it could look like is uh, pretty open. Um, they had a dime package that they used a little bit last year, but it came from Gary Patterson. Gary Patterson has his own version of the of the three deep safety flyover deal um, that he got them to run against Texas Tech. They didn't do it very well. And uh, it may have been something that they did this offseason, but now he's not around to walk them through it on the board. So I don't – I mean, maybe they could do it without him, but it, it's less certain. Um, and then Pete Kwiatkowski would use dime packages at Washington, um, especially when they played Mike Leach. I don't know how – it's not quite as useful in the Big 12 where teams run the ball more than Mike Leach did, but with how much defensive back talent Texas has, if they could build a package like that, that might be useful. His was a little different there. He just subbed out the weak side pass rusher for a, a safety. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Ian, uh, because news came out that Chandler Morris is likely to start at TCU at quarterback. Uh, they said they're going to go to getting the ball out quicker. Uh, with him at quarterback, number one. Number two, the, playing a team like Oklahoma, similar offensive coordinator to Kendall Bryles at TCU now, right? Same Art Bryles tree um, from Jeff Levy. Well, the yeah. question is, are, are those guys having more defensive backs? How, how, how important is that against those kind of teams? It can be. The, the, what makes those teams tricky as uh, Nick Saban in the SEC was finding against Tennessee this year, is that they'll get a big tight end on the field in the box. And so they may have you spread wide with the receivers, but then they're running like power on you uh, in the box, and sometimes they involve the quarterback too. So it's a little bit of a gimmicky offense, but it's legitimately like hammering you at extreme ends of the field. So if you get really small, it can be hard to, uh, to hold up and, and not just get run over. So, I mean, that can be a solution. It just depends on how you arrange the pieces. The most obvious thing that they could do is just to have a third down package that's not supposed to be, you know, for first and 10 against, against or whoever. Um, it just to, have, just to have a third down package that they can use to try to get off the field better on third and long. I would think that at the least they would do that. They might have a package that they could play for whole games. But um, it'd be, you know, we'd just be speculating on what exactly that looks like unless we heard something hard from uh, camp. But, yeah, at the, very, at the very least, 
they could get these guys on the field so that they could confuse quarterbacks and just swarm teams when it's third and seven or, or whatever. Got it. All right. Thanks, Ian. I appreciate it. Jake, thank you for the question. Let's go to Michael Williams, $10 Super Chat. We appreciate it, Michael. Uh, any updates on Rodney Terry's coaching staff, Jerry? All the coaches staying. I believe the strength coach is going to leave. Keep up the great work. Yeah, apologies if the dog barks again. We got some stuff going on here. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, um, John Riley is going to go to Oxford uh, and be with under Chris Beard. And, look, he was the Chris Beard guy on the staff. Um, I found it very interesting in the Big 12 uh, tournament when Timmy Allen was hurt that Rodney Terry in a press conference talked about calling Todd Wright to ask him what to do. I, Bobby, I mentioned this to you when I saw that. Talked and called Todd Wright, who was the strength coach at Texas for a long time under Barnes, and Rodney Terry and him are very close. To talk to him about Timmy Allen's injury and kind of what to do with that, I, I kind of found that curious at the time. I said that's kind of, kind of going to end up being a – glimpse into where Rodney Terry is going to go with his strength and conditioning uh, coach and program. So I think you're going to see somebody from the Todd Wright tree. Um, I know they'd love to have Todd, but Todd makes a lot of money. He's the, uh, you know, he, he, he's got a great tag title with the Clippers right now. So I think that one may be a little tough, but he's got a really, really good tree under him. So I think that's where Rodney Terry's headed, and I think he maybe kind of gave that away, not knowing it in the Big 12 tournament, talking about Timmy Allen's injury. Um, the associate head coach position that was up on the UT website's been taken down. And I, I do think I have a pretty good handle on who this is going to be. Um, I'm going to keep this one quiet um, until it's ready to come out. Uh, but I, I think it's a tremendous hire. Uh, but one thing I'll say is, is there's not going to be the associate head coach tag. I think Texas is going to just have all assistant coaches because you can now have five assistant coaches on the court coaching. Um, three of those guys can be on the road uh, recruiting along with the head coach. But uh, so I think you're going to see not an associate head coach tag necessarily, but I think you're going to see more just uh, five assistant coaches and obviously their pay scales will be different. Um, but I, I think the Texas fans will be extremely happy with who I think is going to be uh, the higher here. And that should be, I think, after the Easter holidays. All right. Thanks a lot, Jerry. I, I appreciate that. Um, all right. Uh, thank you. Uh, right now, we're going to be taking y'all's questions the rest of the way. We'll have, we'll talk about things we know and picked up throughout the week as well. Uh, but hopefully within the context of the questions you guys ask. So fill up the inbox, uh, please. Uh, we'll get to you as soon as we can. If we have uh, a couple for me, I got to get rolling about four, four or five minutes. Okay, gotcha. I'll grab a couple more for Jerry. I want to mention this uh, real quick. Uh, we have a special going on right now at InsideTexas.com. Four months for just $1. It's an introductory price. So if you've never subscribed before, give us a try. Four months for just $1 at InsideTexas.com. It's where you can get content from not only Jerry, Ian, myself, uh, but also Eric Naline, our publisher, Justin Wells, Joe Cook, our beat reporter, Paul Wadlington, uh, as well as uh, other people that uh, uh, contribute in throughout the week, like Jake Longy, uh, the former Texas staffer uh, as well. All right, Jerry, I'm going to grab a couple for you. Yep. And let's go here. Jerry, how much do odds of landing guys like Colin Simmons and Micah Hudson depend on winning the Big 12 this year? Off of that, if we don't win the Big 12, what are the odds we finish with a top 10 class? Yeah, I don't think uh, – I, I think these kids are going to – I just don't think winning the Big 12 is going to matter here. Um, I think trajectory of the program, um, I, I think relationships with Sarkeesian, 
in the, in the Hudson recruitment, the relationship with Chris Jackson, especially with the mom, is going to be key in that recruitment. Uh, I think those are big. I don't think winning the Big 12 or not uh, is going to matter. Um, I think Texas needs to win 10 games as a program just to continue to ascend and, and, and be show kids and prospects and circles of those and you know, we say advisors, agents in the NI world, NIL world that everything is 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 ascending at Texas on, on the football program. I don't think winning a Big 12 championship or not is going to matter. These kids are looking, uh, you know, a kid like Colin Simmons is going to sign with an SEC school. He's the, the reason Texas has a legit shot here is because they're moving to the SEC. I, I believe if Texas was staying in the Big 12, I don't think Colin Simmons goes to Texas. I, I just don't believe that. I think that kid is one of those that's going to play in the SEC unless something crazy happens. Um, with Micah Hudson, look, I, I mean, this to me, this is an opportunity recruitment. Um, you know, he trains with margin hooks. So did John Tay Cook. So is Isaiah Naor. Um, you know, so is kid like Parker Livingstone that Texas is recruiting. Um, you know, so I think this is an opportunity recruitment. Xavier Worthy looks like, you know, if the look, the thought is he's going pro. The thought that A.D. Mitchell's going pro, Jordan Winnington's a senior. I know Micah Hudson doesn't play all three positions, but that's a lot of opportunity. Jatavion Sanders probably goes pro after this year with another good year. So that's an opportunity recruitment. Obviously, Texas Tech is selling Micah Hudson on you're the guy you come in, you're going to get 100 targets, right? I mean, um, so Texas is – that is what this recruitment's going to come down to for Micah Hudson, I do believe. Got it. All right, this one from Polk Casino. Uh, thanks for the super chat there. Jerry, do you think we can have three 1,000-yard receivers this year? Ian, you need to chime in on, on this, yeah, yeah. too. I don't think that's humanly possible, but that's that's me. Has anybody had three 1,000-yard receivers before? We'd have to look at Bama's, that that Bama year, maybe. I don't think they well, did that. Waddle, we had two. Yeah, Waddle, Waddle got hurt. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, unless there's three Andre Johnsons on the same team, I'm not seeing. I don't. I just. I don't, I'm not sure. I see it on the that level, right? I mean, um, I, I think Texas could have one and two guys at 850 yards, but I think what's going to make Texas really good this year is they have more guys to spread the ball to. I think guys could have. I think Jatavion Sanders could have less production this year and actually be a better player for Texas, if that makes sense. Um, more impactful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're sitting there with A.D. Mitchell. Uh, we don't even know if Nayers, you know, wait until he gets back. But Worthy, Whittington, Jatavion Sanders. Then you have talented freshmen like DeAndre Moore and John Take Hook who are going to push their way onto the field and get some reps. So I just don't think the targets are going to be there for guys. Ian may disagree. I, I no, will say this. I, I don't Ian, one second. Hey, one, one thing. I want to say this. I think that Texas is not going to have three 1,000-yard receivers this year. I think they may have the talent for any of three guys to be 1,000-yard receivers. Does that, does that sound more like it, Ian? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think back. I don't know if even any of the Texas Tech teams under Mike Leach got three guys to 1,000. I think they may have done it like once, or they had a couple of years where they were close. But you got to be throwing the ball like 500, 600 times yeah. a year to get that many guys up there. So, yeah, I think, Bobby, you just spelled it out perfectly. They have – Jordan Whittington could get a thousand if he got enough action. Um, Xavier Worthy could. I think he already has, or he's come close. Nayor could. Jatavian Sanders probably could, although that's less likely a tight end. Um. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death 
in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. So, yeah, a lot of guys that could, but there's no way that they get the ball out. Something went terribly wrong with Texas's run game, so something like that happens. Pope, thanks for the uh, super chat and thanks for the question. Uh, we appreciate it. Joel McWaters, Jerry, one thing for you. While every recruit is different, what are the most consistent things kids look at, look for in a uh, school, campus life, close to home? Yeah, I think um, I think number one is being a professional, being a pro, being an NFL player, being an NBA player. I think that's always going to be number one. Uh, you know, when we used to run the Under Armour, Under Armour camps, Bobby, I know you've been a part of All-America games. You ask how many guys uh, aspire to be pro athletes, 99% of them raise their hand. That's always going to be number one. So with that does come opportunity early. That still matters in recruiting. And I think that's where recruiting gets so difficult, maybe more so in basketball and football even, because the number of portal guys and five players are on the court at one time. Um, so I think that – I think being a pro athlete is always going to be one – I think number two is that early playing time. Um, and, you know, then the, and what goes into that is the relationships. Because if you don't have strong relationships, you're not going to believe you're going to get on the field early, no matter how many guys are lost off, off a position or off a team. It's just not going to work that way. And I, I think close to home is always for a parent. I mean, what, what's the study? Staying within 250 miles, a high percentage of kids. If everything else matches up, I think obviously – Parents would much rather be able to drive to see their kid than fly. Um, and then, you know, NIL factors in more. I think NIL factors in more than campus life. <laughs> I, mean, I, get to, I mean, I think I think campus life has got bumped down. I think a couple other things have got bumped down by NIL. Yeah, that's that's all fair. All right. All right, guys, I got to run. All right. Hey, Jerry, thank you so much, bud. Yep. We'll talk right. to you Tuesday. Yep. Uh, we'll, we'll keep going. Ian and I are going to keep going here. Uh, we're going to try to carry it on. Uh, we've got a couple of questions here, Ian. I want to go ahead and start with this. I thought it was a good one. King me. Will year three under Sark mimic his offense at Alabama? Man, that's a that's a tall ask. I mean, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Tua, or Mac. I don't even remember which one. I mean, they they had some dudes now. Yeah. I I mean there's there's like an efficacy and then there's in style. Um, I think they could, I mean, probably not for either, honestly. I don't know if they can quite get to the level that they got, especially in 2020. That was a historically great offense. Uh, I, I put them, you know, below their predecessors, 2019 LSU, but they were they were very, very good. Um, I mean, like you guys said, they lost Jalen Waddle, what, mid-season, and then they, they just, Devontae Smith and John Mechie did it from there with uh, Najee, Najee Harris. I think stylistically they're going to be a little more spready and drop back pass oriented than either Tua Tonga Vailoa was throwing RPOs like almost every play. That was kind of their, the way they did things with him. And with Mac Jones, it was tons and tons of bigger formations and then him dropping back behind on play action and throwing bombs down the field. Um, I don't think Texas is quite going to match either of those two. I don't think they're going to be – as big and play action oriented as the Mac Jones offense, uh, be a little more spread like the Taga Vilo offense, but I, I don't think they'll throw as many RPOs. I think they'll throw more straight uh, drop back progression type plays. 
So, uh, but talent wise, they're, they are getting, they are getting closer to that level for sure. I think they probably a couple more years on the offensive line to really, to really match how just, you know, overwhelmingly powerful Alabama could be in those two seasons. Fair enough. This one coming from Xavier Delgado, Ian. What makes Sark's offense a pro-style offense compared to others? Well, you know, those lines are getting so blurred nowadays. Like Jalen Hurts in Philly this year was running like RPOs and zone read every other play. So it wasn't even – I mean, I think Vince Young ran a more pro-style passing game at Texas than Jalen Hurts did at Philadelphia last year with the Eagles. Um, So – but I, I, some obvious things are he has the big West Coast passing game in his playbook. He may or may not use it a ton, but it's in there. Um, they have just an enormous playbook with tremendous depth of different concepts and schemes, which is more – I mean, a lot of these college offenses and air raid offenses are notorious for the fact that the air raid offense is designed where you install the whole thing in three days. And then you just go through it over and over and over and over again, developing proficiency. Sarkeesian's offense, I think, has a 12-day install. So the first two weeks of spring and fall is all you're learning something new every day. So in that that regard, is that's much more like an NFL team. That's pretty different. Um, but, you know, some of the concepts are some of the things that every other college team runs. It's just that they have more of everything. Let me ask you this about Sark's offense. A lot of uh, play prog- progressions by most coaches have the same same looking play with different uh, emphasis. Uh, yeah. Or, uh, you know, one guy does one thing different, and that's really the one you're supposed to go to. Uh-huh. Isn't the pro-style offense, while there is some of that, isn't it supposed to be more of a, a sense of, Hey, do this every single time and do it great and just hit the right guy with the quarterback. I mean, it's more predicated in my opinion on the quarterback doing something right every single time. Right. The quarterback making a read on a progression. Yes. But in that regard, Sark has that, but he's um, part of what has made him successful and so successful with all these quarterbacks that who then didn't go on to actually be that good in the NFL, right? Has been that he actually is really good at the more air raid type deal where you, you, you tweak one thing and the quarterback drops back and he pretty much knows it's going to be this one guy. And it's, there's not actually going to be a progression. It's just, I'm taking a shot to Xavier worthy, right? They, they, they did that a lot with the worthy last year. They were doing it a ton with Mac Jones. So in that regard, He's actually, you know, more, I don't know if we would call it modern or, or college style than pro style. Got it. All right. Thanks, Xavier, uh, for the question. I want to say thank you to our sponsor. Uh, uh, we got to do a quick sponsor update, and that's Andy Ludicky of MyPerfectFranchise.net. Uh, please give Andy a shout. Uh, if you're looking to leave the corporate rat race, uh, get some time uh, doing owning and running your own business. Uh, he is a guy that consults with people. Uh, to talk to them about what franchises might fit them best, whether it's their uh, money that they can invest, uh, the time they want to put into it, or the hours uh, they want to have uh, for their business uh, to fit their family life in there too. Uh, Try Andy Ludicky, Andy at myperfectfranchise.net. 
a good friend of the program, and we appreciate him as well. Uh, let's keep going here uh, because I think there's some good questions here. And I'm going to start with this one, David Williams. As much as Gavin Holmes is being discussed, I'm not sold on him. I want to start with that. We're going to answer this in two parts. Ian, are you not yep. sold on Gavin Holmes? I'm sold on Gavin Holmes. I, I watched him. I watched his Wake Forest film, and uh, he was. I thought he was very good. So, yeah, he runs. He runs better than both Terrence Brooks and Ryan Watts. Yeah, uh, let's just yeah. let's just make sure people know that. Like he's faster than those guys. Yeah, the, right. yeah. That's kind of that's kind of the knock on both those guys is that they're not necessarily. They're both like kind of four six guys that are pretty quick, but in a straight line race, they're not elite. Gotcha. Uh, my is. question is, if Ryan Watts returns in 2024, do you all think Terrence Brooks and Malik Muhammad would be the two best corners at Texas? Uh, you know, from what I've heard, Malik Muhammad might be by then. Um, Brooks, you know, sounds like Brooks has really given it a go at holding on to a starting job. So uh, the answer might be yes. Um if if Watts comes back for 2024, though, if he if he doesn't have like a draft grade to go, then at that point he might consider a move to you know nickel or safety because he might realize like, you know, after two years of starting at Texas, if you can't get drafted at cornerback, then either you need some major technique overhauls or you need to move positions to get NFL attention. So the, the issue kind of might resolve itself, you know. Yep. All right. Question from DeGreen Lantern. Um, why wasn't Sark able to get Brennan Thompson's 10-2 speed on the field last year? Even someone who doesn't know the playbook well can run a bubble screen or jet sweep. It actually wasn't uh, not knowing the playbook. It's just physicality, and they were running too many two-receiver sets. You're going to take Jordan Whittington or Xavier Worthy off the field for that when you got to run two, two, wide or two tight end sets? Yep. Also, uh, I don't know how many people remember. Feels like we've been through this with a few different guys. DJ Monroe and then DJ Johnson were both guys where it was like, okay, maybe he doesn't have a mastery of the route tree or whatever, but we can't we just get him on the field and throw him a bubble screen every now and then? But then they would try to do that, and guess what would happen? You know, the defense sees you. They, you know, you sub out a tight end, you bring in Brennan Thompson, put him in the slot. Oh, you know, I think maybe they're going to throw a bubble screen on this play. It just never ends up working out. So I, I think we just got to be conf, uh, 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 patient with uh, Thompson's process in developing. Also, the guy, he's running track right now. Um, it's it's hard to get a guy like – it's hard to know you can count on a guy like that and get him in, involved in the offense if he's not at practice. Yeah, no, I'm not trying to knock him. I'm just saying, you know. No, I mean it's one of those things, and and it's not like he's just a a guy on the track team. He's a yeah. he's trying to be a vital member of that team. And uh, Coach Flo is a tremendous track coach, and uh, one of those guys that uh, thinks he's got something special in Brennan Thompson. So we'll see how that goes. All right, uh, going to Billy Bird. Expectations for this season will impact recruiting more than Sark's first two seasons. Agree. I'll agree with that. 10 wins plus and, and recruiting will continue on an upper upward trend less than that. And we could face a setback. 
Yes. I, I, this is from Billy Bird. I, I would agree with that typically, um, although it always depends on the how you lose uh, a little bit. You know, what if they, they're, they've got nine wins and, you know, something happens late and they can't do anything about it. So they've been going and then, you know, they get a run of bad luck or something. Uh, I don't know that it's exactly 10 would be my point, Billy. I think your um, idea or the theory behind it is strong, though. They do need to win 10 games in that area, uh, be highly competitive, show some uh, big-time ability uh, to be a different-level team. Uh, and in Sark's third year for him to keep uh, ringing this up. They're also going to need uh, more scholarships uh, to get into the top 10 because they don't have that many uh, as of right now. Uh, so we'll wait and see how that that goes uh, with what we've got right now. Um, you know, I would ask this and I want to and I want to talk to talk about it a little bit because the portal is coming up, Ian. Uh I've got other questions we need to get to, but but first I want to ask you this. If you're at Texas and you're in the personnel department right now, what positions are you trying to look at in the portal? Take take what we know off the off the table. What are you looking at and saying? Like when I mentioned those three guys got injured today, I was thinking, okay, they lost their fastest corner. That's not good. May have lost their young running back. Well, they already moved. Savion Red and Jonathan Brooks is coming back, and Jaden Blue is there. I think they're okay at running back. Um, uh, and and then uh, who was the other one? I can't even remember now. Um, Baxter, Holmes, DeAndre and, Moore, and who? DeAndre Moore and DeAndre Moore. So they would have lost one of their young receivers, which I think they probably have enough. Although they don't have another inside receiver until Brennan Thompson gets back. It, knowing that, that you can lose that many guys that quickly, what does that do from a personnel standpoint for you if you're thinking about it? Like, where would you expect to see them go in the portal just based on your knowledge? Not necessarily uh, what, what, what we know based on what the coaches are thinking already, but just where, where do you see the strength and weakness of the team? I think, you know, obviously if they can find an impact edge, you take that guy. That could be, you know, that could be the difference between coasting to a Big 12 championship or not. Um, we've heard good things about Ethan Burke. Maybe they'll maybe they'll be good there anyway. But if you could get a guy, then you you do that, obviously. Um, so I'm kind of nosing around every school that has a big scheme change that had like an edge, and I'm, I'm looking at whether that guy is happy with where things are going in the new scheme or not. I think if you can get a really good proven running back somehow, which would be hard to find in the portal. You might go that way just for the security, but uh, I I'm with you. I don't, I don't think that's very likely unless, you know, unless we wake up on April 16th and three running backs are in the portal. Right. I think it could be something more like last year where they took, uh, they took Tucker Dorsey and they took Tariq Milton and they were both guys that were just, they had a year of eligibility left. They were veterans Neither of them were going to be stars or necessarily even starters, but they could be guys that could fill out your two deep with reliable uh, set of floor, basically, for your backup positions. So slot receiver seems like a spot where they could be looking for that again. Um, and uh, safety as well, potentially. Even with Jalen Catalan, huh? Well, I mean, if he's hurt, then you're 
Jaron Thompson, Michael Taff, and Keaton Crawford again, which is not awful. But if you can get like a fifth-year grad senior transfer guy who's maybe solid, but you, you maybe you wouldn't want to start him, but he's willing to live in Austin for a year, right? And uh, maybe live the Texas NIL life and be a reliable backup. Tudor Derek Williams, that could be worth it. And then, um, yeah, I think those would be the big ones, honestly. I don't know that there's another spot. Maybe a veteran at edge as well, if you thought that that would help your room develop. But they don't, I don't think they really need one for numbers and uh, where they could really benefit is to add, you know, impact there. Yep. I, Mount Chanel is mentioning tight end. I think that's one. The other one that I think if you look at it really deeply, Ian, is defensive tackle. Um, and the reason I say that is because Vernon Broughton's not a run stopper. No. Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy are, are really good. Alfred Collins not really a run stopper either. That means that Aaron Bryant and Sadir Mitchell both have, would both have to play early in a rotation, and they may or may not be ready for that. They add an adult defensive tackle that's more of a run stopper. I could I could see them doing that, and then I obviously agree uh, about the tight end. Uh, so yeah, uh, a tight end, a tight end would be good. Honestly, a young upside tight end would be the best. Otherwise, I just wait for next year and then use the departure of Jatavian Sanders to try to lure in a really good, like, mid-major guy that's actually can go out and catch balls. Defensive tackle, though, like, how are you going to find a good run-stopping defensive tackle in the portal that wants to come and be your second, third-string guy behind Sweat, Murphy, Bryant, you know? It's kind of I, I don't know that they. I don't know that they would be behind anybody other than maybe Sweat and Murphy, though. And they rotate four. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just. I'm putting it out there. I, everybody I, wants that guy, you know. So every somebody else, if if he's worth playing, then like Oklahoma State will be like, well, come here and play seventy snaps. You know, we we need that guy all the time. So that's just it's a tough sell. You want to go to Oklahoma State, West Virginia, West Virginia? Or you want to go to Texas? I mean. There's yeah. that too, man. That's the way Texas is going to have to sell that. All right, Steve Sedaris, uh, Sedarius. Ian, you predicted Texas to win the Big 12 last year. What area do you think they underachieved, or do you think it's more TCU and K-State overachieved? TCU definitely did, but they were buoyed by a, a strong defense. Yeah. I was trying to remember, having said that, I, losing Nayor was a big deal. It wasn't clear when it happened if it would be catastrophic or not. You know, tended to think they'll probably they'll be okay. They still have worthy, but it was obviously a huge deal. Um, and then you know, not only were they inconsistent throwing deep to worthy, but then he had like the broken hand down the stretch. Um, Quinn Ewers definitely did not take to the offense as quickly as I would have thought he would. Um, I think there, it was a much steeper learning curve for him coming off of the, the kind of the year off at Ohio State. That was probably the biggest gap between what was expected of Texas and what actually happened was that in big games, you had Quinn Ewers is just a, basically a net negative for Texas's chances of winning games. Otherwise, things kind of went like we thought. You know, I thought the defense would be a lot better. They were. I thought the linebackers would actually be a strength because they were so uh, experienced and had some time to actually learn the position, and they were. I thought the secondary could be good if they could just 
learn and master a scheme and execute it together. And they did. Um, so, yeah. And then obviously TCU wildly overachieved relative to most of our expectations. They had a bunch of transfer portal guys that they added that no one had heard of that ended up being really good starters. And uh, Kansas state, I, I thought were pretty much what I expected. Gotcha. All right. Uh, Jarrett Johnson, when do you think the dominoes of 2024 recruits will start committing um, I talked with Jerry and Justin about this uh, earlier this week. Uh, we really think it's going to be June, uh, July. That's when everybody's making decisions these days. Uh, there'll be a, there may be a trickle in April and May, uh, but really we think that the dominoes will fall in that June, July, and that will set up for some big name guys probably making decisions November, December timeframe. That's that's the current expectation, Jarrett. Thanks for your question. Um, going to uh, Steve O'Matic, long-term, not necessarily ju in just 2023, where is Jeray Bledsoe going to settle in on the D-line, inside or outside? Inside is the answer as of right now. You agree with that, Ian? Yeah, he's probably not going to get lighter. You know, we keep keep seeing how big and strong he can get. There's not much motivation from the strength staff to see if he can get smaller. So uh, well, he's like, what, 275 right now? So if he can play inside, then you would rather him play inside. And uh, can only, yeah, I, he might be a major impact difference maker, like the kind of guys that Georgia has that makes all the difference for them as a defensive tackle. So they're going to let him explore that upside. All right. This one from Vincent Brown, Jr. Been uh, asking about the 2017, that's the, the team that beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, I believe. Uh, versus this year's projected starters on defense. DL versus DL, LBs versus LBs, CBs versus CBs, and safeties versus safeties. I think the DLs, I, would you call, was Osai a, a, an effectively a defensive end in that that scheme, or was he a linebacker? I can't even. I think he, no, he didn't even, I don't think he was even on campus in 2017. I think he was a freshman in 2018. Okay, yeah. so it would have been Puna Ford. It was, uh, they had Puna Ford was amazing. And then they, uh, you know, they switched towards the end of the year or like halfway through the year and they, and they became full-time dime with Hager. Uh, Ridgeway? Hager, no, Hager, Puna Ford, and Aminahu. And then they, uh, they ended up moving Gary Johnson to starting Will and playing him with Malik Jefferson. And then they would play dime with uh, Deshaun Elliott, PJ Locke, Chris Boyd, Holton Hill, and uh, wasn't Caden Stearns, was it? Brandon Jones, and I think maybe Jason Hall was in there too. Oh, that's six or seven NFL players you just mentioned. Yeah, it was a good. Were, so let's talk about that. Six or seven NFL players. Are there six or seven NFL players on Texas's defense right now? So you want to say Tavondre Sweat, probably. Um. Maybe Byron Murphy too. We'll kind of maybe we can wait on him. Uh, on the edge, it's kind of unclear at this point. Um, Jalen Ford, yes. Ryan Watts, maybe. Gavin Holmes, potentially yes. Terrence Brooks, potentially yes. Uh, Catalan and Thompson are kind of mar are kind of marginal guys. I don't know. I, they, they're not right now. They don't look like they stack up as well. 
even though I feel like this year has um, greater depth than the 2017 defense, and I feel like it could be comparably good, but it doesn't – just on the top-line talent, it, 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 2017 sounds like they have the edge. What do you think? I, I would say 2017. Uh, more – like I think Jalen Ford's better than any of those linebackers you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, I think that the secondary, I would give the, the nod to the other guys if, if you're talking about a hurt Catalan or a, a subpar, a sub-maximum uh, Catalan. I, I don't know. Uh, Puna Ford was such a shock, shop wrecker. I mean, he just uh, – he and Charles Omenahu really – Omenahu that year really started showing signs of what he might become, you know. Yep. So it was interesting. I, I'd probably go with uh, the 2017 guys because they had more disruptors. I, I would yeah. put it that way. All right. Yeah. I uh, want to get to this one too. Ashton Holloman, uh, thanks for the super chat. Jerry Hamilton wrote an article on Wednesday about recruiting spending. And Texas had at, at, and Texas was sixth nationally. Shouldn't Texas be first in spending since their program generates the most revenue? No. And, and Ian's shaking his head. And here's why. They're not Nebraska where every single player has to be from out of state. So they can get in the car and drive to Dallas, get in the car and drive to Houston. And they need to so that they can also see the schools that are, you know, 100 miles away from Austin or in Colleen. You know, you're not going to fly to Colleen to go recruit uh, guys or Temple is another uh, example or Waco. Uh, so because of that, Ohio State, I think, was – Ohio State and Michigan were like one and two. And Ohio State, even though they have a great football state, they only take about eight to ten kids in state every year. And it could be lower than that these days. Vince, so, Young, Vince Young's steak dinners don't add up as fast as airfare. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. That's good. That, that's the answer, Ashton. It's not because of support personnel. It's because of generally what they need to do uh, and where to go. That yep. That is what gets uh, – gets, very, very uh, expensive. All right, let's go. A couple more questions, uh, and then we'll be wrapping up here. We've got one here. Hold on a second. I want to close with the portal, Ian. Do we lose more players in the portal at the top or bottom of the depth chart? Bottom. It should always be bottom at a place like Texas. If you can be a starter at a place like Texas, you're not generally going to transfer, period. I would agree with that. I don't think that's really – things have to be really bad at Texas for that to even be a concern, honestly. Well, I mean, it, it, it doesn't because if if Miami's out there offering 600000 to a point guard, you know, there, there are things that can happen in in small doses, not in large doses, right? Not in not in mass. Uh, I would agree with Ian, though, overall. It's still, still tough, though. I want to say one last thank you before we take our final question uh, to our sponsor, Andy Ludicky of MyPerfectFranchise.net. Uh, MyPerfect Franchise uh, is a consultancy uh, that talks to you about uh, owning your own business, your own franchise, and what works for you. Uh, Andy takes Andy Ludicky takes you through a process whereby he asks you about your skill set, uh, your time uh, that you can put towards a business. Uh, and what makes you tick uh, and then lines you up with the right franchise for you. So if you're looking to leave the corporate rat race, give Andy a shout at Andy at myperfectfranchise.net. 
Okay, we have time for one last question here. Uh, let's go here, and I'm going to go with fighting, fighting truth. Colin Simmons is going for dollars, and Dad, Dad and said Texas impressed him, but his recruitment will go to the wire and probably be bouncing figures off of schools. So let's say this. It's not that he's going for dollars. He could get that wherever he goes. So let's, this is what people, uh, and I, I, you couldn't get it at Wake Forest probably. So, but top 25 schools in the country, it, there, it's going to be there for everybody. Don't, That's don't, it. don't pretend that it, it's not a reality these days, folks. That, that's what I would say to that and, and why, uh, I want to, want to mention that. Oh, that's wait a minute. I've got to mention this. That's what it takes to get at the high stakes table. Then you still yes. got to win the hands. That's that's a good way to put it. I mean, you, you still got to win the hands. This is great. Love this. Mr. Sorrell, hope your son has 10 sacks this summer or this uh, year as well. Uh, I, I got a chance. I want to mention this is, uh, I believe it's his dad, Barron's dad. Yeah. Uh, he has come on here before. Uh, a year ago, before the New Mexico State game, he, he predicted two sacks. And sure enough, Baron got two sacks uh, that week. Uh, I want to say this. Uh, I was at the first two practices of uh, spring ball and Baron Sorrell, even in just three short months since last seeing him, uh, Ian is starting to, he's, he is still improving his body and his physique. It's, it's the consistent hard work is showing uh, for him. And I think he is primed for a really, really good season this year. If they get enough around him, I could see him getting the 10 sacks. If teams are allowed to load up on him, then that's going to be that's gonna be hard. Gotcha. All right. That's going to do it uh, for us uh, on Friday's Longhorn live stream. Uh, for Ian Boyd, I'm Bobby Burton. Uh, Jerry Hamilton also uh, joined us earlier in the show, as well as Brett Wilkinson, uh, and showing that the Longhorns lead, or actually they're in second currently in the Learfield uh, Athletic Directors' Cup. Uh, but it looks like he could uh, in uh, Texas should end up number one for Ian. I'm Bobby Burton. And this has been on Texas football.